All right. Welcome to Life After Issa podcast, where I bridge the gap between Russia and the post-Soviet Union space. I tell you stories of people that escaped communism and Russia, as well as countries that used to be part of USSR, stories of their struggle and success. David, welcome. Obviously, you're not from USSR, right? No, I'm not. But uh, every time I hear the word communism, I think of... Uh, so my mom was in... Mexico. She she's from Mexico. Was born in Mexico, and there are people that love communism in in Mexico. Surprisingly, or maybe not surprisingly, for those who have lived in Mexico, I don't get surprised anymore. I think a lot of people have a false representation of what it's like to be free and experience freedom. I like to say that when you don't know freedom, prison can feel like a good place to be. And a lot of that stems from the educational system. I would like to start with something really interesting. In the spirit of ignorance, the phrase that Jordan Peterson uses a lot, I'm going to throw some stereotypes at you about American education system. And I would like to hear your thoughts. Mm -hmm. You ready? I'm ready. Okay. In American schools, kids don't do anything. Pretty much they spend time outdoors in the fresh air and they play games i did a lot of not learning in, in school so would you say that's a, a myth or a truth um man i wish there was more time outdoors it feels like we did nothing but indoors so yeah a lot of not learning but indoors all right number two uh lunch last half an hour i'm sorry an hour and a half and in that time, the students have time to eat, play ball, as well as hang out outside. Mine, I think it was 45 minutes, if I remember. It would float around there. But yeah, we'd eat, run around, play basketball, hang out with friends, try okay. and fight. So this stereotype sounds great because it sounds close to the truth. Uh, number three. In American schools, you have to ask for permission to use the bathroom. Oh, yeah. Like you will, it depends on the, the teacher sometimes, but it seems like the closer you get to elementary and middle school, the more ego there is around. If you just go, the teacher's like, how dare you have the right to relieve yourself? So, okay. So the next one is every student in American schools have their own, um, designated area for their things you said the what who has designated they have a designated area uh, a shelf for their things uh sometimes you had no shelf if you had a shelf that'd be nice yeah sometimes no shelf oh oh that's interesting because i remember watching a lot of american movies and that's what i used to think that every single american kid has like a private area where they can store you know everything that they need for school or otherwise yeah in the in the earlier grades yes but as soon as you like start to get older and move up it's just your backpack is your mm. is your thing in american schools there's always something going on parties um galas extracurriculums is that true yeah there's there's always something happening like you can go join soccer there's someone starting a dance or an event so yeah 
the only actual party I had was when I graduated high school. What? Okay, that's that's because there are multiple parties. They're like, like school school has a dance, or they have like some sort of lunch thing, or even your own class would have a multiple potluck. So depending on your teacher, if your teacher was cool, that they, they just have a party for your class. So everyone was like, oh wow, that teacher always throws parties, but my teacher doesn't. So you start to get like, like wow, I just missed it. Hmm. In American schools, you don't have a uniform. People wear whatever they want. Yeah, you, you wear whatever you want. Of course, there's some dress codes here and there. The people that would break it were the girls every time breaking the dress codes, which and then some teachers would they get sent to the office to go wear nasty PE clothes that were just sitting in a closet where they smelled, but they had to wear it. And everyone would see it's like, oh, wow. Uh, Michaela tried to wear that short skirt again or something. Now she's wearing the teacher's sweatpants. So, yeah. American kids in school rarely get punished for bad behavior. I got punished for a lot of bad behavior, but it depends on who says what punishment is. Like, somebody just slap on the wrist or, oh, you sit in the office all day. I don't know what Russian punishment looks like for kids. So... Yeah, I asked my, my mom and my dad because they grew up in USSR and uh, it would be physical punishment. Oh, yeah, there's no. Get, yeah, you would get beaten up with a thin stick. Luckily, my mom was a good student. She never, she never got the punishment, but my dad, yeah, my dad was not a good student. <laughs> uh, I should say he was a good student, but he had a bad behavior. Yeah. Um. So you you went to both um, I should say you went to elementary, middle, high school, and college in America. Is that correct? Yeah, I did go to one private school for a bit, so I did have experience wearing the uniform, which was very weird to me. But yeah, that's that's what it looked like. Tell me a little bit about your experience going to American school. Yeah, uh, there's just well, I had when I was young, I did long fifth grade so I've had issues all throughout the education system just dealing with it I know the U.S. is although we're a first world country we're possibly around the 23rd in terms of literacy rate um, across other countries so I'm not I know we're not doing it right another thing since I'm a big reader I know that the statistics show that at least 42 percent of college students never pick up a book after graduation. So something's missing here in terms of getting people to value learning. I remember vividly that my classmates would say, oh, Americans don't know geography. And their educational system is so narrow that once they kind of know the path they want to go on, they don't venture out. They don't try to read books outside of that particular topic. Exactly, they don't. It's uh. It reminds me of a quote of, what is it? A jack of all trades is a master of none, but oftentimes better than a master of one. So that last part people forget, especially in the United States. They just focus on, oh, a jack of all trades is a master of none. I will just focus on that one thing, but it's not, it's not helpful. Oh, so you're saying that that last part is the part of the entire sentence? Yeah, that's the whole thing. I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah, it's 
most most people don't right so write that one down wow so when you so okay talk, talk to me about elementary and middle school what was the kind of the system educational system that you went through yeah so what they do it's very a very content driven curriculum it's not developing your critical thinking making you think for yourself it's just feed you information have you memorized but when you're out on your own in the world which we can get into later i had difficulties a lot of people have difficulties so especially with this exponential change of technology the one constant thing in life and in business is change and americans just really aren't ready for it I used to also um, memorize a lot, especially in the eighth grade. I remember we had to finish War and Peace. In retrospect, I don't think eighth, eighth grader is ready for that kind of lit, uh, literature, but I had to memorize a lot of poems, um, read a lot. And when I came here to the United States and attended one of the poetry events, I was very surprised by how different American poetry is. First of all, you didn't have to memorize. You just go on stage, you have a piece of paper and you can read off of it. As silly as it sounds, that was a cultural shock to me. Um, I was like, why? You don't have to learn it by heart to be able to perform? That almost felt like a lack of excellence in educational system. Yeah, it's... Uh... For me, maybe this is how deep it's it's in me culturally. I was like, mm, I really don't see why I need to know it at the heart. <laughs> really, like as an American, I'm just like, why do I need to do that? I get it if it's it's very impactful information where it's maybe it brings in a sense of culture and community. That's when I see it's like, okay, that's when it's important to take it to heart. But otherwise, like we just saw poetry and our system is just another thing that they were feeding us that didn't really matter did you read a lot growing up i had phases i had phases where because now when i look back at it my father did read quite a bit to me when when i was young however when i went into school i almost created a disdain for reading because I was you'd be forced to read books they just weren't excited about right so they never said hey you, here's all these stack of books choose whatever most interesting because when you're young it's more about being inspired to become a lifelong reader and learner than oh this is what the curriculum says read it because we told you to not because you know it's going to make you a better person or something or make you more money or something Let's unpack that a little bit. So when you you are a, a, a reading coach currently, and when you were thinking about going into that space, and obviously I know you did research, a lot of research, we know each other personally, so you shared that with me. What were some of, some of the most shocking statistics that you came across when it came to reading? Yeah, so we do know that 91% of readers never get past the first chapter. We do know that- How many? 
91% of readers never get past the first chapter. I believe it's around a half of U.S. adults read at around a sixth to eighth grade reading level, half. And also a big determinant of happiness and success in life is your vocabulary. So Johnson O'Connor Research evaluated very successful individuals, did all these different kinds of tests and metrics and measurements that would make you and I be like, why would they measure that? But one of the things they found that these wealthy individuals had in common was a large and expansive vocabulary. So whoever was top 10 percentile in vocabulary was also top 10 percentile in income. And then bottom percentile in vocabulary, those, that bottom 10% were also bottom 10% in vocabulary. So there's more, but let's, let's unpack those. <laughs> it, it seems obvious to me that the more you read, the more successful you are in whatever you're doing, right? Either that's, whether that's business or even relationships, right? If you're able to communicate well, you're more likely to have healthy connections with people in your life. But you and I know that it's not as obvious to a lot of people. Why? It's not obvious. No, it's not. It's not obvious. As I, I talk to quite a bit of people all the time, they they see my page and they'll either message me directly or they'll show up to my book club or I'll see them. I do a lot of networking. Say, David, I don't see why I need to read. I, what's more important, like they say, so a lot of people say they have ADHD, but we do know that's overdiagnosed. And if you look at this, do, do you have ADHD when you watch TV or play video games or watch your favorite show? Unless it's boring. Unless it's boring, right? So it's when we're using our phone or all these things that engineers, we know engineers, I mean, we both know engineers. Mm -hmm. So many people focus on making that phone highly addictive, right? So, so, but then when they go to reading, they go to it and it's just not enjoyable. I'll break that down later. But there's a lot of blockers, like, for people not wanting to read, it's like. What would you say is the, the number one blocker for people in their early 20s? The number one book? The number one blocker for people in their, in their 20s. Because when you think about it, right, um, let's, let's break it down into the age category, because I think it's really important mm -hmm. um, when, when we're talking about uh, literacy and education. Depending on what age group you're in, you have a different life experiences. When you're in school, um, depending what country you're in, um, in, in post-Soviet Union space, it's from, you go to kindergarten, and then when you're about, about six or seven, you go to first, first grade, and until the 11th grade, um, that's up to 18 years old. Mm -hmm. You are in a system where you absolutely have to, um, absolutely have to read. And because when you're talking about communistic regimes, when you're talking about post-Soviet Union, there's also a punishment associated with that. I'm not sure right now if you get physically punished or not. I'm sure in some places you do, but that age group has to read because they have no other choice. I'm very curious about the people that actually leave high schools and go to colleges because arguably speaking, they have more autonomy. Same thing for America, right? When you go to college, and we can talk about the college system a little more because it's fascinating. 
um, how different it is from uh, from post-Soviet Union. But when you go to college from your 90 to say 27, 28, you have a choice. And so I wonder if what, what your thoughts are on having a choice to read or not to read impact your literacy and, and in the grand scheme of things, also your success in life. Yeah, so talking about reading or not reading and what that looks like with success. Well, we do know if we look at Pew Research Center's data, the households that read more earn more money. So that's just a fact. So people need to rewire themselves uh, that every time you read a book, every time you pick up a book and finish it, every page, you're really getting paid for it. All right. So either that's oh, wow. That's how you need to think. And I'll, I'll share some more stats where but a lot of people don't think that a lot of people think, wow, well, if I'm reading this book, I'm losing money. I'm not working on my business. I'm not doing this. But like the secret reading habits that I'll share with you about these billionaires, even Mark Cuban from Shark Tank, a billionaire, they have all this money. They're really busy. All these businesses, they still read hours upon hours every day. Right. So now the question is, you could say you could take it to one of two ways. You could say do it the arrogant way and say, well, you know what? These guys are just dumb. Why would they be wasting all their time reading? They already have all the money in the world. Or you could be humble and assume that they know more than you because they've accomplished more than you and think, you know what? They probably know some things about the importance of reading and what it does to the brain, what it does to my income. And maybe I should just follow in their footsteps. Well, how do they find time? They, they prioritize it. They prior, that's it. They prioritize. Also, um, there's this concept of working on the business or in the business, right? So a book behind me, it's called The E-Myth. And it talks about how a lot of entrepreneurs, no, a lot of business owners aren't entrepreneurs. They're, it tells a story of a baker, a baker who loves baking. She loves baking. But when it comes time for her to grow her business and have someone else bake, she loves the craft so much. So the book calls that she's the technician. So she can't contract that out because in her heart, she can't trust someone to do that. She can't delegate the work. So she can't find the time. But the other business owner who does adopt that can find the time to read and grow themselves. Wow, I, I honestly never thought about reading as making money. Yeah, so another statistic I'll share with you is according to Sales and Marketing Executives International, those who read at least seven business books per year earn 2.3 times more money than those who just read one book per year, okay? So that's seven to one, giving you 2.3 times more income. Now the question is, is there a cap on that? Is there a cap on how much I read? Could I earn 4.3, 8.3, 10.3? Or is there a cap? So like all we have to do is just look at, let's look at Tony Robbins, if you've heard of Tony Robbins. Yep. You read 700 books in seven years. Early on in his career, he read, he learned how to speed read. We could look at Patrick Bet David in his book. What is it? Something, something about dropping out. He read about 1,200 books in 15 years. Uh, now I think he's at about 3,000. Theodore Roosevelt, 
has read 10,000, was reading a minimum of book a day in the morning. Warren Buffett read 1,000 pages a day when he started his career as an investor. So why do these guys all do this? They know one thing, and it starts with the letter C. It's compound. That word compound. Compound investment into your knowledge. What would you say to people who say, I'm not uh, Patrick B. David. I'm not Warren Buffett. Mm -hmm. I'm not one of those guys. I will never be that rich. Why should I read? Yeah, it's uh, a great response. I love it. It's, uh, well, first, you should adopt the mindset that these guys aren't special. They're not aliens. They're not superhuman. So we need to bring them back down to earth. So whenever we look at people that go up on stage, we kind of give them way more credit than credits do. They're just someone who really focused. A lot of them aren't, they're not super hyper intelligent. They're just confident and taking action. Okay. So to fully answer your question there of, well, I'm not, maybe you don't even want to be a billionaire, which is fine. A lot of people don't. However, you have to ask yourself, what will get you to where you want to be faster? Billionaire advice? or millionaire advice, or someone who's working your same job, or maybe they're making, maybe they're making a little more than you, right? But out of those three, who's going to get you to that accelerated path so you can finally get that house? So you mm -hmm. can finally, let's say, meet your true love, because some of these books are what? Helping you master relationships, helping you master yourself. So that's what I tell people when, because I hear that, I hear that quite a bit. I would love to talk about self, self-help books. I went through a lot of them in my early 20s. Mm -hmm. Most of them are crap. Excuse my French. When at, at the beginning of my professional career, I didn't realize that you have to research the person who's giving you the advice before you look into that advice. What would you suggest to people who hear you speak and, and feel motivated to take advice from millionaires and billionaires? Where would they start? Yeah, so foundation's really key. And I, I love what you said about looking at who you're actually listening to. So although there's, so there's not quite a big filter on social media of what people can post, but there is a larger filter on books. You could look at Amazon, you do book summaries. So this is the advice I give everyone on book recommendations. It's take all of them with a grain of salt. If I recommend you one, you should read three to five book summaries before you pick up any book, buy any book. Why? What's wrong with spending 20 to 30 minutes researching a book to see if it's a fit for you? Otherwise, you buy the book, you spend three, four hours, realize the book sucks because time is money. And so that's what I do. Although I have a big book list, that filter is really important. Do you believe that a good book can help you find true love? I believe a good book can help you find true love. The book can't find it for you, right? So... There's words like words have power. Words have power. If I if I walked you through right now, I don't have it in front of me, but I just read, I was reading a visualization book. Actually, the book is called The Silva Mind Control Method. And I was reading the part that said words have power. And it said, close your the book said you need to relax and read these next sentences. And it walked me through a series of visualizing me picking up a lemon, me smelling the lemon, me cutting the lemon, and then me biting the lemon. And there I was actually just at a restaurant reading the book and I started to salivate as if I bit the lemon. So books and those words are the first steps to having something in your life manifest physically. And for me, an hour ago at that restaurant, it was me salivating 
But for you, when you read that book, it might be that first phone call to an investor or the first phone call to someone that you love. So I do believe that books can bring about action, but it is, they call it self-help for a reason, right? Mm. It's, it's all back. It's all down to you. Let's switch the gears a little bit. What comes to mind when you hear USSR? I think war, tanks, flags, military video games. Also, I've never, I've, I've never played a military video game that would remind me of USSR. Is that a thing? Um, just, I, when, yeah, when I, I think Russia too, I think USSR, so I think Russia, I think foreigners, I think, what games? Yeah, I think World War One. I, I think World War II, uh, first person. Oh, see, I wasn't aware of those games. Okay, now I, I've learned something. What comes to mind when you hear post-Soviet Union world? Yeah, I think I, I start to think again, because that, that was used quite a bit in the war games that I've played, so post-Soviet Union. I just think, like, things are burning down, torn down, um, it's, uh, I think of gray and black and white. That's what I picture. Mm. It's not, I'm not picturing very fruitful landscapes is what I picture. Have, what part of your history class in either high school or middle school, or even in college, if you're taking history in college, ever covered USSR or countries that you still consist of, like Russia, Azerbaijan, Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan? I ask that because when I meet a lot of people, especially here in the States, and I mentioned those countries to them that used to be a part of USSR. A lot of them never heard of them, don't know where they're located, and won't be able to speak on three or five facts about those countries. I'm curious to hear uh, your thoughts. Uh, how much of what you know today about USSR or post-Soviet Union world came from school, and how much of that came from you actively seeking and, and expanding your horizon? Yeah, in, in school, they didn't really cover it like those like Kazakhstan and those that you've mentioned, they never really brought them up. No, no, just not. not. Let's do a quick, let's do a quick test. Yeah. So USSR is consisted, was consisted of 15 countries. How many countries would you be, be able to name? None. Well, I'm, I'm going to guess Kazakhstan, the ones that you see. <laughs> <laughs> um, what comes to mind when you think about Russia? Russia, I think lower life expectancy mm-hmm. is one of them. Cause I remember I think it came up somewhere when I was just surfing the internet. I think the snow, I think a much larger country than ours. I think of Putin. I think about his, uh, there's different perspective. I think about the different perspectives of, of at least the US of, of Putin as well. Some people, they highly adore him, but also fear him. Some just don't like him at all. So Definitely Putin has been, he's been there for so long. I also think of uh, Russia's like, also just think of like a really strong country. That's what I picture. That's what I picture. Uh, I think when at least, although I get the whole democracy thing with us having multiple presidents, it's just like Putin has talked to so many of our presidents. That's like, I see him as someone who's, I don't know, who's seen more, who's seen more. Uh, I mean, he is a dictator, but. Why do you think some Americans like Putin? Yeah, they like him because he has a strong frame. He's not wishy-washy like Joe Biden. Like Joe, like when we look at men, we're looking for someone who's strong and stands their ground, even if the ground he's standing on or what he believes in or what he does may not be moral. There's at least some respect there that some Americans have, but are still against him. So it's like, having a respectful adversary. What about Americans who don't like Putin? Why don't they like him? Yeah, there's just, 
against a lot of a lot of the principles that we have in the U.S. I'd say with terms of freedom of speech, uh, imprisoning people unjustly, decentralization of power, mm. a bunch of reasons. One of the things that I heard a lot growing up is that some nations are built for democracy, others are built for dictatorship. What would you would you agree or disagree? Yeah, I'd I'd agree. Yeah, that's yeah. I don't see anything wrong with that statement. In my personal opinion, when people say that some nations are built for democracy and others are not, I truly think it depends on the history, how much they were a part of this collective mindset where they don't think they deserve democracy or they don't think they deserve freedom and, and be able to express themselves without being put in jail, right? The generational memory, and which starts with schools and, and education and reading, back to what we talked about earlier. If, if generations after generations read a certain set of books that were carefully filtered, then they continue to pass on the knowledge as the truth because that becomes the default, right? How are you going to question the default when you don't know what the alternative looks like? Just like that example with the lemon that you brought up, right? If you don't even, if you forgot what it tastes like and you start picturing it, mm -hmm. it's practically impossible to even imagine that one day you can taste that lemon or, you know, hold it in your hand. So I think when, when, when it comes to what the work that you're doing is incredibly important. You know, reading the books is one thing, but being intentional about reading them, especially when you leave the educational system and you don't have to do that anymore is, is crucial. So what would be, what would be the top three advice that you would give to, to people that would love to read more, but for some reason don't read a lot? Yeah. Yeah. So right there's what you said is that most people do want to read more. They would love to read more. So this is, this is the thing to act to, to think about, because I work with a lot of CEOs, entrepreneurs, and might be moving the companies pretty soon here is that let's look at your 40 hour work week right? If it moves to 10 more hours of the same work, which requires the what? Same level of thinking. What does your return on investment look like, right? Those extra 10 hours. Or instead of adding 10 more hours of work, you take back five. Now you're working 35 hours a week and you spend five hours reading books from the top five of your industry. So let's say you're in project management. What if you read the top five books from the top five people in your industry that are 30 years ahead of you, would they be able to save you five to 10 years of unnecessary work, unnecessary suffering? And we all know the answer is yes. Okay. So now it's like, okay, well, how do I prioritize it? Okay. How do I pr prioritize it? Well, now it's delayed gratification, right? So we've, mm. there's the whole concept of that marshmallow test where they had little kids, they put a marshmallow in front of them and the kids that could wait the five minutes when they followed them on later in life, the kids that could wait the five minutes are now way more successful than the kids who couldn't wait because they couldn't, the ones that couldn't delay their gratification that carried on into their, into into their life, into their business life. So I mean, I do meet quite a number of entrepreneurs, I'm sure everyone has, or business owners, where they're caught in what we call the rat race. Robert Kiyosaki talks about it. So we're caught in the action loop. We're caught in the trial and error syndrome where you're learning by your own mistakes, not learning from others. So mm. of course it is a spectrum. It is a spectrum of finding that balance, action and learning, action and learning. However, the biggest advice is really, really just prioritize it. But what does it take to truly prioritize it? It does take education to have that knowledge leveraged. Because once again, when people tell me, David, I don't understand why Patrick Bit David read, read so much. Like 
I can't wrap my head around it. It doesn't make sense. Well, it seems almost like magic. So the lack of information is why you think it's so mysterious and and unknown. But as soon as you find that information, now you're on the same playing field. A lot of people might say, well, I literally don't have time. I'm a mom of three, or I have this difficult job, or I'm barely making ends meet. I don't have time to read. How do I prioritize? Well, biggest thing is like your schedule is your fault. <laughs> it's like, if it's that bad, if your schedule is that bad, like, the, the most successful individuals, go see, are they busy like you, frantically running around all over the place? Or do they actually give themselves time to think, time to relax? Because you do need to slow down to speed up. You need mm. to, some of the most creative inventors would just take time to go for a walk, take a long bath, sleep in the middle of the day, take a nap. But what would that do? That would actually help them be more productive. So once again, it's like, it's like, David, I don't have time. David, I don't have time. Doing the same thing, expecting different results or exponential results, right? Isn't going to get us there. So for those people that say it's like, David, I don't have time. Well, Elon Musk has the same amount of time as you. Bill Gates has the same amount of time as you. But they're using what we call leverage. Use education to get leverage to take action that takes less time. David, what is the purpose of life? Mm. the million dollar question or million dollar question or trillion dollar question the meaning of life so whenever you said the purpose of life or the meaning of life or... the purpose of life purpose of life biologically spiritually um uh, whatever comes to mind whatever yeah whatever it came what first came to mind because i was just going to answer what first came to mind but i wanted to get specifics but if there are no specifics the meaning of life is to make the world a better place at the sacrifice of your own comfort that's how i see it that's really how i see it it's like i don't want to live a life full of regret where i could have done something more like today as for the audience whoever's watching this this is the youngest you'll ever be right now and right now and right now so one of the i've if you've ever tuned in to see what nurses have said as what as what they have heard when they're talking to people on their deathbed mm. they don't fear they the thing that hurts them the most is the regret of not doing something in their past so oh i should have talked to that person i should have started that business so i always try to picture myself embodying that and my mortality like reminding myself of my mortality how many People have had that near-death experience and now they started that business or someone in their family died and then they started it, right? What if you didn't wait for that person to die to then actually do something with your life, change your life? What is freedom? Freedom, what is freedom? Freedom is being able to do what you want. Simply put, being able to express yourself the way you want. Thank you so much for your time today.